John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, this is Steve. You ever have that movie that you've heard so many people rave about that when you finally sit down to watch it, you're actually nervous that it won't live up to expectations? Well, that's how I felt when I finally sat down to watch the 2010 samurai epic 13 Assassins, directed by Takashi Miike. You see, 2010 was a pretty rough year for me, both personally and professionally, and so the fact of the matter is, I didn't get out to a lot of movies. But that doesn't mean I didn't hear about 13 Assassins. I saw comments on Facebook, my friends were talking about it, the instructors down at my Aikido dojo were raving. So when I finally sat down to watch it a few years later, I was worried that it couldn't possibly live up to the hype. Well, it didn't just exceed my expectations, it totally massacred them. 13 Assassins is unlike any movie I've ever seen. It manages to be at once somber and thrilling, strange, profound, and at times totally bizarre. Oh, and did I mention that the last 46 minutes of the movie is one long, jaw-dropping action sequence? Seriously, it's crazy. So, if you haven't seen this incredible film, it is your duty to go to cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream 13 Assassins along with every other film we've ever reviewed. Trust me, the final battle alone is worth the price of admission. And if you happen to support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles, right now you can listen to John and I discuss toxic fandom and how it changed Hollywood, and not really for the better. So that's Toxic Fandom on Patreon and 13 Assassins this Friday on The Cinephiles. Hello 
and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and CEO of the Outlaw Nation, a voiceover guy, and a massive lover of samurai films. And uh, I couldn't be more excited for us to dive into the film we're diving into today, Steve. And that, of course, as you can see from the title of the episode, is 13 Assassins. And this comes from a Patreon pick. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a request from John Getz. John, we would love to hear why you picked 13 Assassins as your Patreon pick. Hi, I'm John Getz from just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And 13 Assassins is my favorite movie of all time because... It's the perfect example of how you can have action, you can have all your fun, and you don't have to sacrifice character for it. You don't have to sacrifice drama one bit, because it's basically half drama and dialogue, and I'm not bored one bit during the first half. And then the second half, it goes into complete action, and just 45 minutes straight of action, and one legitimately enhances the other, and it works perfectly melded together. Wise words, wise words. And whatever John wants, John gets. So Ooh. we're doing 13 Assassins. My guess is, first time he's ever heard that joke. Yeah, sure it is. I'm sure it is. <laughs> well, and I'm really glad he did, because this movie, yeah. I think, is unlike any other film we've covered in the cinema. Well, that's not entirely true. Yeah. Actually, there's that's a, a real point. lineage to Seven Samurai in this film. Oh, yeah. But stylistically, it is all its own. John, do you remember when you first came to 13 Assassins? Yes. Uh, I believe I went by myself to go see it at the Sunset 5 when it came out in 2010. Uh, there are certain films that I have only so many friends. Maybe I went with uh, Blue, but I'm not sure. And if Blue is listening to this, I'm sure he can clarify it or remind me by text or I'll, or do it on the social media. But like I, I remember going to see this film. I remember I, as soon as I saw the trailer and some other film I was watching, I was immediately transfixed in finding out when this thing was going to come out. Because as a lover of samurai films, Steve, we don't get that many anymore. Just like Westerns, you don't get really that many great ones anymore, that many good ones anymore. And so when one comes out, you see a trailer for it and it excites you. The first thing you want to do is put that on the calendar and just wait, wait for that to come out and enjoy it in the theater. And I just remember seeing it at the Sunset Five and just absolutely loving every second of this movie because as you said just a few seconds ago steve it is one of the most unusual films let alone one of the most unusual samurai films that you're ever going to experience there's something we talked about Mm -hmm. when we did seven samurai which was uh kurosawa's goal this style of movie the samurai sword movie is called a chambra and and they were pretty light previous to seven samurai they were action movies and kurosawa's goal was to make it totally satisfying as an action movie mm. and be about something and be real drama with real characters and real story. Yeah. I think this is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what's crazy about this one is it's all drama and story for the most part for the first hour and 20 minutes or so. Yeah. And then all the, it, it, this might be the most insane action sequence of any film ever. 40 minutes of an ending, a 40 minute samurai battle as an ending is just an incredible task to take on, yet the 40 minutes disappear as you're watching it because uh, you're transfixed by all the characters that they've done an incredible job 
of laying the foundation of making you care yeah. about through the movie. And I realized, of course, I didn't answer my own question, yeah. uh, which is I didn't see it in the theater. Mm. Uh, my son, I'd heard about it. I'm probably heard you talking about it. I'm sure mm. my son was born in 2011, which the year after this came out. And that began my, it's the middle of the night. My kid won't sleep or I'm finally <laughs> alone. So this was definitely a movie I watched over three nights. Wow. Really late. And and I hadn't seen it since. I absolutely mm -hmm. loved it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll say something, you know, of course, normally I try to do all the research I possibly can right, and right. try to find out all the information I can. I don't have that much information about this film. Yeah. The Blu-ray, all the Blu-ray has on it is a fairly terrible interview with the director. Mm. There's not much on Wikipedia. I even did what I rarely, almost never have done for the cinephiles, which is go out and look at other reviews mm. and other criticism to just find out some more information. But it's pretty thin. I will tell you. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, just saying real quick, like uh, Takashi McKay, who's the director of this one, known for, for so many films and interesting films, unique films uh, and cult films as well, as well. Uh, what, it, this is one of the most straightforward films he's ever directed when it comes to, um, his approach to filmmaking. Uh, and there's two different versions, which That's I discovered. That, yeah. yeah. Which I discovered, Steve, as I was getting ready for our, uh, our show, cause I want to do some research as well. And the fact that there is a Japanese version out there that has extra scenes in it versus the international version, which I imagine is one that we both watch. Now I'm on a hunt to find the uh, Japanese version and watch these deleted scenes. I imagine they're on YouTube somewhere, but I will find them for God's sakes. And hopefully they have English subtitles. You, sir, are in luck because yeah. I have it. Oh, yeah. So oh, okay. uh, I, I, I literally, you know, I always have to uh, rip or somehow get a copy mm. of the movie in order to edit. And I was having trouble ripping the the film off of the blu-ray and getting hmm. the japanese and the english subtitles so i could because i want to have the right i didn't want to have the english dub voices yeah. in our oh. in our movie no um, they're terrible by the way i listened to a little bit are. of their i mean these are like worse than normal mm. it's awful the mix is terrible on it too um yeah. and so then i pirated the movie off the internet which is something oh. i i rarely do and i got the international version oh nice so okay. i i have it there are four scenes at least mm. that i cannot believe they cut out yeah yeah there's really good and i'll tell you what they are and okay. there's one scene <laughs> that i can't believe is in the it's so it's you know you talk about this director doing some odd stuff yeah are you talking there's about yeah. Are you talking about the demon scene? Are you talking about the demon scene? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you said, McKay was a, a big fan of uh, these kinds of movies, and mm -hmm. he wanted to do a chambra with a modern sensibility, but mm -hmm. he didn't want it polluted with modern stuff. So he didn't want to put in a love story. He didn't want to comment on it from a modern perspective. He wanted it to do very much in the period. Um and he was a huge fan of uh, Koji Yakushu, Yakusho, who's the lead, mm -hmm. and asked him to do it. This movie, I'm shocked by this. This movie was shot in two months. Yep. Two months in Japan. And to shoot that whole action sequence is three weeks. Oh, wow. I don't, I mean, I don't remember what the what the action sequence in Seven Samurai was, mm. but it was months to shoot yeah, it, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like the, the complexity of this and the danger of this and the choreography of this, I can't imagine doing it in three weeks. And they had weather problems when they were shooting it. Mm, mm. The other thing is most of the actors had minimal to no sword or martial art experience wow. or training on horses. 
Wow. I, it blows my mind because yeah. they look so good through so mm-hmm. much of it. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You know, I said I really didn't find a lot of pre-production. <laughs> That's it. That's really? what I got. Okay. All <laughs> so right. I got to tell you. So, well, we should say it's a remake as well. Oh, thank uh, you. I should have said yes, that. Yes. No worries. Yeah. Of a uh, 1968 film, if I remember correctly. 63. I'm oh, sorry, 63. I'm never good at movie release dates. Anybody in the Shimona will tell you that. A 1963 uh, period drama from Ichi Kudo. So um, I was surprised that this was a remake, which I found out a few years ago. Uh, and I've still to watch the original, so I should make an effort to try to find that as well. Maybe Steve ripped that one off the internet. We'll be happy to send it to me. I'd be happy to get the it. internet police are going to come after me, aren't they? I shouldn't <laughs> have announced that publicly. No, no. It's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Would you like to get into this film? Let's do it, man. And, and we should say right before we start, ladies and gentlemen, we are two Americans jumping into this film. Uh, uh, we, I may get, con- I'll admit for myself, if I may get confused on some of the characters' names, but I'll try to be very clear on which character I'm talking about. So at least yeah. from my end. So No, sa- same for me. In fact, I, I, I talked to you a few days ago and said, yes. this is going to be hard because by the end, you've got a bunch of guys covered in blood and mud yeah. fighting. And it's like, wait, wait. Okay, that's that guy. And it's <laughs> happening really fast. So yes, I have the same problem. We're going to yeah. do our best. And and if I mispronounce names, it's not meant disrespectfully. It's just because I'm dumb. It's not, you know, that's why it is. Yeah. Um, I, think we'll, mo- I think we'll get the main characters right, but we yeah, might absolutely. be a little hazy on the other assassins. Anyway, eight, yeah. eight out of the 13 are no problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Hori and Higochi and Otaka. No, yes. Otaka is a pretty not too bad either. I, he, he, yeah. I can remember. Um, uh, anyway, uh, we start, we get some text on screen setting this up that this is near the end of the Tokugawa Shogunate and that it's been peaceful for a long time and all of that is being threatened because the younger brother of the Shogun is this guy named Lord Narisugu and that if he is such a horrible person that if he gets put on the council, on the Shogun's high council, it'll destroy the Shogunate. That's basically the setup that we get. And then we get, oh, go ahead. Let me ask you something, Steve, because you're very, you're a student of history. Can you explain a little bit or are you prepared to talk about where we are historically in the history of Japan? Okay, so I will do my best. Again, same disclaimer, I am not a expert in Japanese history, but Mm. I am fascinated by this era. So the Tokugawa Shogunate starts in 1600. And Ieyasu Tokugawa is one of the great military geniuses in the history of the world. He unifies Japan and creates such a great bureaucracy that that shogunate lasts until the Meiji period in the 1880s. So so Yojimbo Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is right before the Meiji period starts, I think. It's like 1880-something. Japan was opened up to the West in 1854 by Commodore Perry, the American naval captain or naval Commodore. And up to that point, what Tokugawa had done is totally shut off Japan to the outside world. Mm -hmm. And he had also created a really complicated bureaucracy because you had all these daimos, which are the lords of various provinces in Japan. And they were for centuries up until 1600, always fighting each other. And there are always these battles. And Tokugawa managed to A, unify them and B, create this system and this bureaucracy that kept all of them in check. Mm -hmm. And so, and so had really had a very peaceful rule 
up until the time that we're getting to, which is now, you know, generation after generation, they don't have the genius of Iesu anymore. Mm. And there's starting to be little fractures. And when Japan gets opened up, those fractures get bigger until finally the shogunate collapses and you go into the Meiji period. Right. right. That's my that's my okay. best historical perspective. So this is 10 years before Commodore Perry shows up. When does Tom Cruise show up? That's what I want to know. Does that's, he show up? It's 1860. <laughs> well, he fought in the Civil War, right? right. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so it's got to be 1870 or something. Fair enough. All, All right. right. Anyway, let's get into it. What, what, what's fun, I know you're laughing, but what's so funny is half of my history comes from yeah. fiction, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. because when you read fiction, like if you, if you, I've read the Musashi books yeah. and I've read Taiko, which is an unbelievable book about uh, Hideyoshi, who's one of the other brilliant oh. generals. He's the peasant who became the leader of all Japan before Tokugawa. Right, Amazing right. story. And so like I've read fictionalized historical novels about them, the Lone Wolf and Cub novels and oh. Musashi and, and yeah. all these ones. It's like, because even though they're all fiction, they they intersect in these ways that yeah. then you go, oh, that's the reality. Right. Um, so, t- and Tom Cruise is a piece of it. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's a piece of the fictional right. Japan. And so is this movie. So, yeah, and yeah, so is yeah. this movie. And, and by yeah. the way, Naratsugu is a real historical figure. Yeah. Uh, he was not a very good lord. He did die young. There is no evidence that I could find yeah. <laughs> that he is what this guy is who we'll get into. <laughs> the first image is absolutely stunning of a man... Pr- preparing to commit harikari or commit suicide Mm. you know it's it's just the color control it's the white top the blue pants the gray background the way it's framed it's absolutely beautiful and it's i've seen you know this has been filmed many times this you know disemboweling of oneself this Mm -hmm. is one of the most amazing and most brutal versions of it shout out to this actor because yeah. uh, I think this is the only time he appears in the film, obviously because he kills himself, but we find out why a little bit later in the film, but it's just so powerful. He has such nobility and strength in what he's doing. Um, and we will say this for those of you who may be new to a Japanese film or new to the Japanese culture, this is seen as an honorary thing to do as a way of sending a message uh, as well uh, by taking your life in this manner. It is a, a ritual suicide uh, and we're not making light of suicide or mental health issues. This is something else completely yep. in the time that it is occurring. Yeah. There was an ideal of what mm. the perfect samurai would do, yeah. which is there are three cuts. <laughs> it's cut from left to right across the lower abdomen, <gasps> cut back from right to left to the center, <laughs> and then straight up. Oh, and we can assume that basically almost nobody is actually capable of the third cut, yeah, much less right. the second. Exactly. And normally there is a second, which is there's a dude with a big sword. Yes. And his job is to cut your head off, hopefully before you show pain. Mm-hmm. So before you scream, that guy's going to cut your head off so you don't shame yourself. Mm-hmm. And frequently, and this was true because women had to do this too, is that it would be like as soon as the sword touched the belly, the head would go mm-hmm. off, yeah. you know. This guy has no second. Right. And he does all three cuts, man. Yeah. And it's Incredible. gross sounding. And as, as you say, I mean, to say, I mean, I was going to say it's a, it's visceral to watch it. And then oh, I yeah. went, well, because he's cutting up his viscera. I mean, it literally yeah, is the point. meaning of visceral. <laughs> and then this gorgeous top down shot of the blood. And we see that there is a note. And on the note is the hollyhock crest. And this is actually the symbol of the Tokugawa shogunate. So, mm-hmm. so we know something important has gone on. And then we have, a meeting of our elders and we hear that 
Sir Doi, who is, uh, which I would think Doison would sound much better than English Sir Doi. Right, right. Sounds a little weird. Um, weird. We hear that this Lord Naratsugu is the son of the former shogun and Mm -hmm. the adopted son of the new shogun. And that basically the shogun is saying this guy is going to be the head of the council and maybe he's even going to be the heir. Mm -hmm. And you can't disobey the shogun. It is confusing the relationship too with Naratsugu because they say adopted, but they also say half brother. So is he a half brother that was officially adopted by the shogun? Uh, It seems like that's what the situation is here. So Um, interesting. uh, He was the real Naratsugu was born in 1817. Mm. And, uh, he was the 13th. No, he was just a daimo. So he, he was adopted into the Shogun family, gotcha. into the Tokugawa family. He was not born a part of it. Okay. This is why, you know, the internet and Wikipedia is like, it's a very useful tool. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, and, and what this sets up is basically the, the essential philosophical conflict of the movie, I think, mm-hmm. is the difference between traditional duty to your Lord and doing the right thing. Yes. And I think right from the beginning, it's like, well, the Shogun says that this guy's going to come onto the council. Traditionally, mm-hmm. we have nothing to say about that. Right. right. And what we're going to find out is that maybe we do have something to say. And it, I think it leads back to the fractures that you're talking about, Steve, this idea, the evolution of what it means to be a samurai. Right. And this will also come up the, the verbal. And this film is full of incredible interactions about the philosophy of duty and loyalty, as you mentioned, but also what it means to be a samurai as the shogunate is dying, as the shogunate is ending. You know, things are changing, things are transitioning, this idea of what to do next. And so I think that becomes a very huge part as we go along in the movie. And I love it. Well, it's funny. You know, something that came up, uh, I think it was in a cinephile short that someone Mm. asked this question, and I realize it totally applies to this. Mm. Someone asked the question of why are there so many movies that are set in the ending of a period? (laughs) You know, and they talked about Star Wars being after the, you know, the fall of the, we talked about all the Westerns that we've done from, you know, Mm -hmm. Unforgiven and High Noon and they're all about searchers. They're all about the ending of a period. This is the same thing. And Jimbo's the same thing too. You know, it is about, oh, we are transitioning away from this culture that has ruled this uh, country for a thousand years. Mm -hmm. I love the introduction of Shinzeman. Yeah. It is so cool, which is we're looking out at the water and there's a guy holding his sword above his head as he wades through the water and we see this dude on a ladder over the water fishing. Yeah. I, have you ever seen that anywhere? No, I, I, maybe I've seen it in in a, in a random samurai film in the past, but I can't recall it being an image that I that I can remember concretely in any other film I've seen. But it's a gorgeous image and simple, simple and, exactly. And, and just like a, a, the what you would say, the legendary samurai, the legend of a samurai, a very quiet, reserved uh, act, which is just sitting here fishing on a pole, and it's really incredible. Well, and this is where you can see, the, I mean, there are obvious connections to the Seven Samurai. Yes. And, you know, yeah. I can totally picture Kambe fish sitting on a ladder <laughs> like this and fishing, you know. Takashi Shimura is yeah. a simple man, yeah. but also, a, just like this character, also a great man. And rubbing uh, his head as this guy shows up. Publicly. <laughs> and, and I love that he uh, uh, catches a, a little fish. Yes. <laughs> But by the way, these are the these are the directorial choices that I find fascinating because mm-hmm. the prop guy or the animal guy, whoever came to the director and said, 
So what kind of fish you want? You want a big fish, middle little fish, a brightly colored fish, a, a active fish, a really dead fish. And he went little fish. Yeah. And I think that is a fantastic choice. Of course, it's great symbolism too, because that's what he's going to catch here in Natatsugu. Natatsugu is a little fish. He, that's how, that's, he is a little person in his approach to the world. And no matter how big he is in status, inside, he's a little fish. This is what's so interesting is we're going to take the best samurai in the world mm. and essentially go against the samurai tradition in right. the, in the ending of the samurai, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and he goes to have a meeting with Sir Doi. And the first mm -hmm. thing Sir Doi asks is that perhaps you've heard about the outrage yeah. and he has, and we ask, what do you make of Lord Naratsugu? And without missing a beat, he says he is not a worthy heir. And then Sir Doi says, I've invited someone here. And in comes Makino of Kiso. Yeah. I think this guy's performance is so oh, amazing. Stellar. Stellar. Yeah. And yeah. he tells this story. Lord Nartsugu stayed overnight where he was. And because he's such an important lord, we had to make sure to give him the best of all possible service. Mm -hmm. And we have people bowing and we've obviously created, you know, a great environment for him. Yeah. And when he's asking for something, Makino's son, who's going to mm -hmm. do it, and Naratsugu says, have his wife get them yeah. instead. Yeah. Okay. So we call Chise his wife. And we hear that they were just married two months ago. And... You could hear the moment that Makino says, I'll regret it to my grave. Yeah. You're just like, oh, no. But you're not sure what it, you're not sure no. what's going to come. The first time you watch this, you're not sure what's going to come. And what does come is just, ugh. He grabs her, throws her on the ground while she begs, steps on her, closes the door. And then it's some time later and the son has come looking for her. Mm -hmm. And he opens the door and Natsugu is like lounging mm -hmm. and she is weeping. And obviously he's raped her. Yes. Probably multiple times. And he says, Kiso women are such mountain monkeys. <laughs> and the son is like, you know, his, this is her husband, but this is also the son of the Shogun. Like right. an unbelievably, it's like, what do you do? And there's a whole bunch of guys that would kill him in a second, probably, yeah. Yeah. you know, and he tries to go over to her and he says, uh, Natsugu says, are you a monkey too, servant? Mm -hmm. And he goes to her and Natsugu draws his sword and kills him. Stabs him right through the heart in front of Chisei so that his blood, Uneme's blood, falls on top of him. So not only was she just raped and her bliss of happy marriage shattered by the son of the Shogun, now she has to watch her two-month husband, uh, or sorry, the, the husband she's been married for two months in the honeymoon period, killed right in front of her. And, and not only does that happen, but we linger on it. Yes. And the brutality of the sword getting stuck in the body, yeah. which he then pulls out and then cuts again and again. Oh, yeah. And says, monkey necks can be so tough. Yeah. And Chisei is covered with blood, and we hear... From Akino that she chose to slit her throat in disgrace that night. And this is great, Steve, because we see her laugh, right? And throughout the movie, the madness of the violence causes people to laugh because as we've spoken about in other movies, 
sometimes you have no other reaction because yeah, I agree. so many emotions are slamming into each other at the same time. I, I'm going to say something. I'm not sure if uh, about mm. it, but there are all sorts of villains we've covered in the course of the cinephiles. There are all sorts of amazing oh. villains in film history. Oh, yeah. There might not be a villain I hate no. more than Naratsugu. Oh, yeah. Because there's so many villains, people like Hannibal Lecter or Hans or uh, Anton Chigurh or people like that. You like them too. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Or the Joker or Darth Vader. You're drawn to them and compelled by them. Mm -hmm. And even though there might be mass murderers and horrible, horrible people, like you're like, ah, oh, I can't, I can't stop watching Hannibal Lecter. He's fascinating right. and brilliant yeah. and interesting. I fucking hate this guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just like he's, he's one of the most horrible villains I can think of on screen. He reminds me so much of Joaquin Phoenix in Gladiator. Yeah. Also, an actual character, a real life mm. person. It's that they've taken a real life character and they've yeah. put these characteristics on this real life character. And he is uh, a psychopath uh, in the ugliest definition of that word and uh, cares little to nothing for any human beings uh, besides himself. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, and beyond that, he is, he is fascinated yes. on every level by violence. Yes. He has no emotional distaste for violence. And it's more like, what happens if I do this? Right. And, and much like, you know, you know, who's another truly, truly hateable villain is Joffrey in oh, Game yeah. of Thrones. In Game of Thrones, certainly. You know, same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Where it's like, just you give this person who's has no compunction about any violence at all, and you yeah. give him a ton of power. And this is what happens. I think we're naturally hateful of people who are given or born into a higher station and develop a real apathy for the human condition uh and that because there's such an insult in that such a primal insult in that yeah uh, that it angers us uh, from a deep deep level and you're right you're right to compare to joffrey same thing a, a, a wimpish king who uses his power and relies on the servitude and the construct of the ruling system in order to indulge the most ugly uh, of his ugliest of his instincts that's just what I was going to say, because yeah. like Buffalo Bill in Silence mm. of the Lambs is terrible, but the, the authorities are trying to all stop him. Yes. You know, so he can't do everything right. that he might want to do, whereas this guy can. He yeah. can do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a symbolism here. And I, I know we need to move on, Steve, but I wonder if there's a symbolism here. Because, of course, Takeshi McKay did Ichi the Killer and a number of other films that indulge a little bit in the violence. Uh, and I wonder if he's in a way, uh, kind of subtly jabbing at his fan base that enjoys the violence more than understanding why he does the violence right. in his movies. I wonder. That's, I think that's a great point. Um, Makino decides not to kill himself. He wanted yeah. to kill himself, but realizes that to do that would be another kind of betrayal that he has to live on to remain a living witness to this tragedy. Koshiro Matsumoto is fantastic. In this He's great. He's Just great. So good. The ability to convey both strength and vulnerability hmm. as he does in this scene is really great. Steve, he asks him to mock him. Yeah. Right? He's he's above uh, right. uh, him in station. But he asks him, he says, go ahead and mock me because I deserve it. Uh, he's above Shinzama and he asks him to. It's just brilliant, brilliant stuff. And again, we go back to this question of can we stop this guy mm -hmm. from being on the Shogun's council and Doi's like, no, I can't. Right. And then we also hear that this, uh, the guy who we saw kill himself did it to protest this man. Yes. That is why he did it. 
And that's why all of this is happening. Yeah. Because the, it was such a high profile supuku or harikari. It, it requires a reaction. And so this all is happening because of that situation and also because of Naratsugu. Well, and it's so interesting because we have the, that guy who to protest kills himself. Yes. We have Makimo who to, chooses to be the living witness yes. and he wants to kill himself that doesn't. And we have Chise, the woman who slit her own throat, right? Like all of the violence to humans that the repercussions of this guy spreading around and we're about to see the <sighs> most difficult and yeah. painful repercussion, which is Doi claps his hands and a screen opens and we see a woman lift up a candle and that reveals another woman. And we, she's filled with emotion and we mm-hmm. don't quite know what this is yet, but you sense that it is horrible. Yeah. And what we hear is that Narutsugu was the lord of their land and kept raising taxes and, and the peasants were starving and they tried to revolt, um, which by the way, Narutsugu really did raise the taxes yeah. and didn't seem to care very much about the people there. Mm-hmm. And we find out that she was the daughter of the peasant leader mm-hmm. and then they pull her clothes off. And they say, he did this. He cut off her limbs and brought her as his Mm plaything. And the image of this woman is so painful and difficult and moving. And so if I didn't hate Naratsugu already, (laughs) oh, my God. Yeah. And and this is McKay just really driving the point home. And and I get for other people like, oh, it's like they do, like they hang that on Gibson. And there's a little bit of torture point. But this is to show you. The real level of depravity that probably went on for centuries in numerous countries since the dawn of civilization. And so it is to show you, not to sugarcoat it, it's to show you how really disgusting uh, uh, power can be for some people. I, I, I think it, you know, it all goes to intention and mm. what is the feeling you get in the audience. Yeah. There, there is certainly violence and extreme violence that is what we could call torture porn, where people are just, you know, and Quentin Tarantino yeah. indor- indulges in that as well, a little Eli bit of Roth. like, yeah, yeah of be- getting, making it really, really rough. And there's a sort of thrill there. Mm-hmm. That is not what's happening here. No, not at all. This is as ups- just really, really upsetting. And mm-hmm. then the moment where they put a pen in her mouth and you're going, oh, what's going on? And we find out that he cut out her tongue and she writes something on a scroll and they hold up this scroll that this mutilated woman wrote with a pen, a brush in her mouth. And it says total massacre. Which is what happened to her entire family as a result from Naratsugu. And the actress is Sakurako Moteke, and she's fantastic in this moment, like yeah. in this whole scene. Her scream, bro, yeah. her scream, brother, is just shakes your heart because you feel the pain of it all. And the fact that she continues to live, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to say just the, to- the totally weird thing that popped in my mind yeah. is there's the line in The Princess Bride where uh, Inigo says, that is the sound of of total of oh. total suffering. Yeah. You know, I made that when they killed my father. The man in black makes it now. Yes. No, that wasn't. This is that sound. Yeah, yeah. That's this fair. is what it is. This is the real suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, you said this before with Makimo, but this is is that Shinz Shinzeman laughs. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Same thing. Yeah. And, and it's at the madness of it all. But then he turns almost uh, uh, immediately and speaks about how the fates have smiled on him because he has been waiting as a samurai to die a noble death. And it has eluded him in battle. It, kind of like uh, Takashi Shimura, who says, oh, we live yeah. again. And he says, like, you know, and now this incredible task has been put upon me. So the smile is almost speaking about his own self, but also almost can't conceive of this madness in front of him. Well, and I love that his hand is shaking. Yes. And he and he says it's a warrior's battle shakes. I, I, I won't say something to you, Steve. I don't, uh, you think I'm weird, but like it's just I know that shit like going in. I know the Schmodown is a move, but like the, the amount of intensity and passion I bring to that. That is how I feel before a match. I am always shaking inside. I'm always just nervous and shaking and ready, but it's just that desire to go toe to toe, right? Every competitor has it. And so does when the, he's talking about it, I was like, this is so perfect. Question. Does, yeah. Do the shakes go away when the match starts? Uh, eventually, if you, if you get in the zone. Yes. If you get in the zone, the shakes go away. If you don't and you're losing or you know you're not, you don't have it that day, it never stops. And it stays with you for days afterwards, at least for me. So I've really never really been in a fight as an adult, but I have broken Ooh. up several fights. <laughs> um, and so there was one fight at a hockey game. Oh, wow. And we're in, we're in like the corridor after the game or, you know, you know, where all the concessions and stuff are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And two guys are going at it. And I, and I was in my twenties to be clear. And I, I, I pulled them apart and the guy that was the aggressor, I put him up against the wall and I felt so calm, Mm -hmm. just completely cold. And, you know, I'd done martial arts and, and the guy had no skill or technique. And I, and I had him against the wall and I knew where his hands were. And I had mm-hmm. one, you know, one hand on his chest, the other on his hand. And I was like, and he was looking. And the thing too, is that when you're having broken up fights, yeah. they're not usually angry at you. You know what I mean? Right. You're a strange person. Everything. They were really angry. Now this strange person has him against the wall. And then security came up and they said, that's okay. And they knew that I wasn't part of the fight. Right, right. And they go, that's okay, sir. We got him. We got him. And it took me a second to get my, to let go. Right. Because I, I was sort of locked in. I was like. Okay. And I turned and uh, I was with Karen's parents and, and, and Karen, who we, I don't think we were married at the time. And her parents looked at me like I was the craziest person (laughs) in the world, which maybe I was, I mean, frankly, like thinking about it, it's not a thing I would probably do today. Um, And we were in separate cars and we said goodbye and we split up and we go out to the parking lot. By the time we get to the car, I told Karen she had to drive. My hands were shaking. My heart was beating because, and I, I I was totally freaked. Yeah. Like, and so all of that adrenaline like dumped into my body after it, I was perfectly calm during, but after was bad. Yeah. But you're right. This is what he's been waiting for. Yeah. And there is a pause and the camera sort of moves around. So we're in an over the shoulder towards Shinzimang and he gathers himself and it's a long time mm-hmm. in the process of gathering himself back together. And then he says, I will accomplish your wish with magnificence. <laughs> wow. What does that mean with magnificence? I, I imagine that it will be something that will be heard for years to come, that it will be uh, unforgettable and it will echo and reverberate. So um I don't think it means flair 
I think it means that right. it'll be massive and unforgettable. We meet Hambe, who is going to be our main opponent throughout mm-hmm. most of this. Yeah. Uh, he is another great character, and this is Masachika Ichimura. He is going to see Naritsugu because he is Lord Naritsugu's main retainer. And as he's heading there, we hear screams. Mami. And we realize that this is the Mamiya family. And right. Hanbei's like, no, there was, I had orders. We weren't supposed to bother them at all. Yeah. And we cut to a child who's tied up and the camera pulls up. And we see that he is surrounded by bodies. And this is the family of the man who committed suicide. Right. And there is Natsugu with a bow and arrow. And Hanbei runs in and says, hey, let's, you know, Sir Doi said to leave the family alone and maybe we shouldn't do this. And Natsugu says, Doi, again, that grumbling shogun advisor. And he pulls back the arrow and shoots. And the kid goes down. From behind. Naratsugu is thinking and discussing the what does it mean to be a samurai? You mindlessly chant loyalty, duty like Buddhist prayers. If servants are spoiled, they forget duty. And then he does something very interesting, which is he kicks he kicks a ball. And yeah. he kicks that ball right <laughs> past Hanbei, who's Again, spoiler alert, whose head he will later kick in exactly (laughs) the same way. It's a nice foreshadowing, true. Yeah. (laughs) And he says, punishment is a master's duty. Mm -hmm. Dying for the master is the way of the samurai. Dying for a husband is the way of a woman. And he kicks the wife over. She's already got one arrow in her and he fires another just straight down into it. And he says, we must protect these ways. I'm sure you agree with me, Hanbei. And there is a pause and a very reluctant yes. What do you think of Hanbei? At this point, don't like him, although I sympathize with his situation, right? Because he can't really go against the Shogun unless he wants to, you know, die. But later, uh, I develop a real distaste for him because of his almost ambulance chasing nature. No matter what it takes, he will be relevant. He will have some kind of station in life, and he is a man who has always come up short in comparison to others, uh, including Shinzaman, and has never been able to accept it. And so at this point, though, I have sympathy for him because he seems to be stuck in a situation that he can't right. get out of. I, I feel I feel exactly the same way. And I think mm. what's painful and difficult about the character of Hanbei is you sense that he could have been someone like Shinzaman. Oh, yeah. That he has many of the same qualities of discipline and strength and intelligence and leadership and all these things and real genuine courage, Mm -hmm. you know, in his way. And yet he's serving this terrible person. And here's the weird thing that occurred to me. The, the last movie that we did was remains of the day. Yes. Or two movies ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. And remains of the day is about a person who serves another person who is actually doing things that's wrong and doesn't see himself as having agency and Mm -hmm. is blindly and to his own destruction, following a code Mm -hmm. that he believes Mm -hmm. in. And I think Hanbei is the same kind of person. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll, I'll go one further in, in a movie we did with Jay and Winston with Black Panther, right? When mm. Michael B. Jordan becomes the Black Panther, 
uh, Danai Garida cannot leave his side as the Dora Milaje. They have to follow the Black Panther. Right. And so, and, but, uh, Lupita Nyongo tries to drag her away and she's like, no, I have a duty to this. So once again, the battle is always duty versus your own thought process, right? What is your, uh, real commitment here? And for him, he, Henbei, he sees this no matter how terrible. It is their job, Samurai's job, to be quiet and follow the orders. Uh, and whereas Shinsaman later now out of the service to anyone uh, has a more rounded perspective on what a Samurai's role is in society as it's ended. Well, I think this is why, the, the, even though we don't live in Samurai culture or even mm-hmm. why we don't live in Wakandan culture, mm-hmm. this idea of duty to follow the leader versus doing what's right is right. that our expectation with the U.S. military is that they are apolitical, right. is that whoever is the commander in chief, that is the commander in chief. And they do not comment on whether or not they can have their individual opinions, mm-hmm. but they are they don't comment on it. And yet there's also a certain point where it, it, you are you should not follow an unjust order. Right. And where that point is, I mean, you served in the military, but yep. like, uh, you know, I hope that you never had were forced to deal with a real, truly unjust order. Well, no, not in a real way, not in any real way. But certainly they say that to you in the military right. as a way of covering themselves. But they want you to follow orders. But they also say you have a right to question an unjust order. But if the rest of the brass doesn't agree with you or majority of the brass doesn't agree with you, you'll get bumped down or you'll lose rank, you know? And I, I had my days of uh, going up against sergeants and questioning their idiotic orders at times because they were stroking their egos. Uh, and as a result, I never really uh, went past the rank of sergeant. Uh, so yeah, I never questioned an, a war order, but certainly right. orders that at times during the military that I felt were absolutely stupid and a waste of our time. So. Of course. I mean, I've heard enough stories from my friends, including you, who served in the military, that (laughs) there's a lot of things going on that maybe aren't the smartest. Um, And then this is the next thing that comes up, is that we know that Serdoy is planning some – Hanbei knows they're planning something. And so he sends Mm -hmm. his guys to spy – and to find out what's going on, who, yeah. what visitors has Doi had, who is he talking to? Our job is to protect our Lord. And so we must know this information. And later on, he gets the reports and hears that Shinzaman was there. Yeah. And we hear that they attended the same school. They practiced swordsmanship together. They competed. And I like this description. They ask Hanbei, is he that skilled? And Hanbei says, he's not as skilled, not as strong as you might imagine, but he never gives up. And eventually comes out on top every time. If Doi picked him, then we've drawn the worst luck. (laughs) It's a great setup. Yeah. Hirayama is kneeling, draws a sword, strikes, sheathes the sword, and repeats it. This is the badass. Yes. And he is awesome. He's the quiet swordsman from Magnificent Seven. Totally. I'm sorry, from uh, Samurai, Seven Samurai. But also, it made me think about you when I was watching this, because I was like, is this what Steve does alone when he's going through his uh, um, techniques, when he's going uh, before he teaches and what have you? You have to stay in practice. So, in a way, I kind of thought of you in this moment and how you mm-hmm. uh, prepare yourself and go through them. I'm sure you have solo training sessions for yourself to stay on point. 
Well, I don't think I'm on point right now. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> like that. in the past when you've taught it. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, when I would prepare for like a belt test. Yes. I would hours and hours every day by myself, go over every single technique, every mm. single weapons form. And then I would, and, and do them sort of in dumb show, you know, just like mm. with myself. Cause it's hard to do Aikido without anybody. Cause it's all throws and grappling and stuff. Right. Um, and I would go through and then I would, it was funny. This is a thing that I would teach later on, but like, for instance, I have a, a staff form with the, with the Joe, which is mm-hmm. a short staff. Yeah. And I would practice it once, try to do it correctly. And then I would practice it really, really slow, like one yeah. fifth speed. And then yeah. I would practice it really, really fast. And then I would practice it uh, really soft. So everything, like take out all the edges and try to do it as smooth as possible. Right. Then I would practice really hard and strike as hard as I possibly could. Then I would put down the weapon and practice it with no weapon in my hand. So mm-hmm. doing all the motions as if I'm holding a weapon, but not holding a weapon. And then I would go back and try to do it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the reason I would do it that way is I realized it, it tricks my brain into thinking about it in a different way. Because you can, you can. Um, sorry, this is going off on a tangent, no, no. but you brought it up, is that you can get sort of lost in a repetition and mm-hmm. it ceases to be real. Yeah, and so you have to challenge your brain in a way to approach it differently. And what was so interesting, what I started to show the doing it with no weapons, I started to teach the empty hand thing. And my yeah. students are like, well, I can't do it. You know, they couldn't do it. They couldn't understand how to do it. And, and then I demonstrated and they're like, it, it was one of the very nice compliments I got when I was teaching. But so it feels like a, a humble, it's not even a humble brag. It's just a brag. <laughs> but um, my students were like, I could see the weapon in your hand, mm-hmm. even though you weren't carrying a weapon. You know, yeah, and that was the goal is to really feel as if you're holding a weapon when you're not. So yes, I would do this all the time. I haven't done this much lately. I mean, I pull out a, I pull out a Joe or a sword, right? You know, every few weeks and you know practice a little bit. But I haven't been doing much lately at all. (laughs) No one has, man. No one has been, man. So don't, don't, don't sweat it. Uh, Uh, Shinzaman enters, and I love that he's that Hirayama says, "I'm sorry for always borrowing your dojo without permission." Yeah. And Shinzaman says, you honor me by using it. I love their relationship. Mm-hmm. He says, your spirit keeps the dojo alive. Would you say that Hirayama was his student? I I sense that there was some kind of connection here in terms of, and I think he did train under Shinzaman. I just don't think Shinzaman trains him anymore because Shinzaman's not a samurai anymore. But when he comes in there and, you know, he says, well, he's, you know, st- he's still a samurai. Oh, I'm sorry. He's not under anyone, I guess, yeah. anymore. And he says, uh, you know, like, thank you for letting me. He's like, oh, no, you honor me by using it. But then and then says, you know, I hope to, you know, live up to whatever. And then they have a, you know, he offers him a mock duel. So certainly he sees him, yes, as a former student, but also now as a colleague, in essence. Um, and maybe and it seems like I it's, maybe he senses that. Uh, and I got this vibe, and I may be reading into it, but that Hirayama needs this. That Hirayama, as a Ronin, which he says later on that he is when he's in the battle, needs some place to feel like home. And in this dojo, he has at least some foundation to keep him from flying away and becoming something else. And so I think I sense there's more to this relationship that is being led on and yet it's coming through with the interactions between both these actors. I think 
Hirayama has been on, he says, I've been, you know, for 10 years, I've been training and traveling. And I think he's been on the journey of becoming the great swordsman following much like Musashi did. Yeah. And I think Shinzaman was once one important step on the journey and probably an early step. And I think, cause he also says that Shinzaman gave him money to help him live as he's doing this. So what I, I feel like Shinzaman did teach him maybe when, you know, 10 years ago and said, Oh, this guy is special. And helped him and and maybe even said, you need to go train here or you yeah. need to go to this monastery or study this part of Zen Buddhism or something like that. Yeah. And then this guy has gone off on this journey and he says, I have not been able to repay you. <laughs> and what's so funny is that what he's saying, what Shinzaman is saying is now you do have a chance to repay you and you're probably going to die. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and Hirayama smiles. Right. Um. And then in comes who will be our second in command. This is Kurinaga. He's played by Hiroki Matsukata. Yeah. I love him. He's great. He's a great oh, character. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and he sees Hirayama and goes, oh, this is this is a good guy to have on the team, basically. <laughs> and then he says, I've got five of my men. And they wait you inside. And we go inside. And now we meet five more people of our 13 assassins. Yeah. We meet Mitsuhashi, who seems like he's sort of the leader of yeah. this group. Yeah. And then we also meet uh, the subordinates who are Otaki Hioki, um, Higuchi Hori, and Ishizuka. Ishizuka, yeah. These are the hand-picked guys because there aren't that many skilled samurai anymore. Yeah. And and this is, you know, you asked about Japanese history. This is actually something I maybe should have said. Mm. Up until the Battle of Sekigahara and Tokugawa becoming the shogunate, you had all these warring daimos. All the time. There was a, basically a hundred plus years of almost constant war in Japan. Yeah. The samurai were really good. Yeah. You know, because there was genuine fighting all the time. There have yeah. been 250 years, almost 250 years of peace. So real samurai, the real deal, there are not that many of them. Yeah. So it becomes almost a dying art form. Yeah. And uh, Shinzaman says, Here's the mission. We're going to go. We are assigned to take the life of Naratsugu. <laughs> and there's a reaction. And basically, the deal is Naratsugu is going to travel from Yedo to Akashi. And once he gets there, he's safe. So somehow we have to get him en route. Yeah. The reaction is like, that's pretty crazy with so few men. And, and then we get this, you know, classic great samurai line. He who values his life dies a dog's death. It's very strong statements from the samurai, you know, you know, you, I, I get the point of it. But then again, on the other side of it, there's nothing wrong with value in your life. But this is the culture at the time, obviously. So you have to take it in the context of words. Well, and what, what's so interesting is this old because he because Shinzaman says you've entrusted me with your lives. I'll spend them at my discretion. <laughs> so he's basically saying I'm the boss and yes. your lives are mine to do with whatever I want. And you can walk away. You're, this is yes. the deal. This is the deal if you're going to do this. Yeah. Once you're in, you're in. Yeah. And and this is exactly, they are being the ultimate version of the samurai giving their lives to their lord yeah. to stop, to fight against a guy who is doing everything for his lord. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then we hear it again. This is very much out of Seven Samurai. Now we are nine. <laughs> One of the samurai, Hori, says, you know, separates from them, says goodnight, and suddenly he is surrounded. Yeah. And they, this is Akashi samurai. This is Naratsugu's men or Hanbei's men. And they want to know what the meeting was about. 
and they draw their weapons and he fights his way out, gets cornered, and then Hirayama shows up <laughs> and wipes him out. So good. So cool, man. Yeah. It, it, and it's a different, right? Yojimbo, there's a confidence, but the shoulder wag, it, it, it just makes you feel like he's like cool, cool, like motorcycle cool. <laughs> Hirayama is like, wow, wow, cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's yes. just a different approach to it. Almost like you revere him for his ability, right? Well, I think that's one of the things they do really well in this movie is like giving these people mm. slightly different styles. Yes. And Hirayama is so powerful and yeah. fast. It's like when you think about the, the swordsman character in Seven Samurai, mm. he does almost nothing. You know, yeah. that's part yeah. of his greatness is all he does is the one cut. You know, he mm. takes people out instantly. Whereas this guy wades through these like they're children. It just yeah. destroys them. Let's go do some gambling. Yeah, why not? We end up in this gambling parlor and there's guys, you know, there's women and drinking and all this craziness. And we see a gambler who is winning and someone says, comes next to him and says, oh, Lady Luck is with you. And I love his response. Don't talk to me. <laughs> He says, what did you say? Luck leaves when unlucky men talk. Yeah. This is Shenro Kuro, and he is played by uh, Takayuki Yamada. He's great, too. He's yes. another great character. There's all sorts of drinking and partying and, and women falling down, and he's getting drunk, and he falls down, and we hear, bravo, nephew, because this is the nephew of Shinzaman. Yeah. And they sit together, and it, what the story is really interesting with this character is that he just didn't like being a samurai. Yeah. He could never be a true player by just playing around. Mm -hmm. What do you think that means? I mean, what's the point of learning a skill if I cannot use it? Like, I, I he is questioning, he's the younger generation, right? Questioning, being told what to do, being told that this is a profession of nobility, what have you. And so in his mind, maybe when he was younger, he marveled at his uncle's ability with a sword and uh, and uh, the samurai overall. But as he got older, he realized you don't do much as a samurai. You don't get to do, you don't get to implement your skills. And so for him as a young man, may, he's been disillusioned by this thing that he's learned to do since he was a child, probably, or a teenager. And now is just lost in the gambling and the whoring and, and the drinking and what have you. Um, and doesn't see the point of being a samurai. Uh, in his life at this point. And how many of us question things as we get older in our 20s and the things we were told or taught by the older generation, our parents, and we're like, this is the thing you told me to do. I, I You told me to get married and have kids and this is what I'm supposed to do. And here I am at 20, 28 years old, 30 years old. And I'm like, this actually isn't what I wanted to do. This actually isn't where I was supposed to go or I've been told to get this job. This actually isn't the job I want. What's, it's a waste, you know, so... I think it's just that the younger generation questioning at this point uh, what he's done with it. What, what, what I think is so interesting, though, is that in a way it's flipped because hmm. what I actually think he's saying is, OK, it's just what you said at the very beginning. I want to use it. Yeah, because he is a gambler. He wants risk. Right. And the world of samurai when there's no war is like you're training, 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 training. And I'm not using it. Right. So I'd rather just drink and gamble money because at least that's thrilling. So he actually wants to risk it. He wants to risk things. Right. 
Then he basically says uh, that he's on a mission and it is a very long shot. Yeah. And notice all the gambling turns, <laughs> you know, will the gamble pay off? Right. And he's basically, he says it's like walking through the eye of a needle. I think he's really playing his nephew here yeah. because he knows what his nephew wants is risk. Right. And so he's saying, yeah, you, you, you're clever. You stick with your gambling. Your uncle's a born fool. I'm going to go broke and bet it all. When the irony is the real risk is him stopping being a samurai, going back to live with his girlfriend and try to actually eke out a living doing something other than me. That's a, a real risk. That's a real gamble. Can you do that? But you want to gamble with the skills you already have. And the nephew asks, what's the prize? What are you going to win? And he says, if by chance I win in time, someone might appreciate me. Maybe. (laughs) It's a great, I think it's a great soldier's dream because the odds are no one's going to remember this doing it because it's the right thing. Absolutely. And we should stop for a second and give some love to the screenplay writer, Daisuke Tengen. I mean, some of these back and forth, Steve, are fantastic and they really give the film so much more life than a standard samurai film. And you appreciate it for what uh, that the screenwriter was able to uh, bring to these moments. You know? Yeah. And the final thing he says is, I will say this, Shinrokuro, my gamble is more exciting than yours. <laughs> so we've reached an important scene that is in the international version that's not in the oh, other version. Okay. And it's awesome. And I can't understand why it's cut is Shinro Kuro leaves the gambling hall mm-hmm. and is attacked by bandits. Oh, wow. There's f- like five guys and their faces are kind of covered. And one of them pulls a knife and he destroys them. Wow. And what's so great about the scene is that you go, Oh, this guy's an amazing fighter. Now I understand why he's being recruited, which is you don't see him really do anything mm-hmm. until the, f- almost until the final battle. Oh no, you do in the one skirmish earlier. But here you really, really focus. It's a lot of uh, sort of jujitsu, aikibujitsu sort of moves, a lot of joint locks and throws. There's clearly a kodogashi in there and another throw I recognize. Breaks a bunch of bones. And he does it pretty much with ease. Mm. And he's broken this one guy's arm and he's down on top of it. And the guy is whimpering, absolutely terrified. And it ends up that's the guy he sent away who he said, you know, about Lady Luck. Mm. It's the guy he sent away in the bar and he ends up dropping money on him. <laughs> so they try to rob him for his money. He wipes him out and then gives him his money. Yeah. And then he goes home and sees his girlfriend. Wow. And, and I think that makes way more sense. Yep. Because at this point, basically her name is uh, Suya, by the way, and he's, she knows something is wrong and he gets up and he grabs his sword and says, I'll be gone for a while. Mm-hmm. She asks, when will you return? Soon, but if I'm late, I'll be at the festival for the dead. Burn the honorary torch and wait. <laughs> yeah, much better when you see him fight before that. Gotcha. Hirayama has a pupil. This mm-hmm. is Agura, who is very young. And at first they want to reject him because yeah. like, you're too young to do a thing like this. And Kurinaga says that Shinzaman is wrong. Devotion knows no age. A samurai's life isn't measured in years. And so they have him join. How old do you think he is? 18, 19 years old? I think he's like 16. You do? Okay. Yeah. I mean, we don't know, of course. Right, right. Um, And then we meet Sahara, who's one of my (laughs) favorite characters. He's a spearman. Yeah. It's a great sense of humor. And he basically said, Hirayama says, I only vouch for his skill. (laughs) 
by the way, the t- so Hiriyama's kind of a Musashi character in the Musashi story, the toughest fighter he ever meets is a spearman. Mm. That's the guy he most struggles to beat. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that just made me think of Hiriyama being our Musashi character in this story. Mm. Um, and he basically says, I just want 200 Rio. And I'm like, well, why do you want that money? He's like, well, I got to settle some debts. I got to buy some equipment. I could give some money to my relatives pay for a tomb for my wife. And then I love this. And with what's left, I want to experience the luxuries I never experienced in life. <laughs> love him. Yeah. And it, well, his second, Shinzaman seconds, like we must, we're getting him for a bargain for yeah. 200 Rio. Cause he's got great spirit. And this is the kind of people we need on our team. And now we are 11. And I look at the title and it says 13. So I'm like, hey, we got two more to go. Yeah, we did. And then <laughs> and then Shin Shinrokuro shows up. Yep. And now we are 12. Yeah. Bursts through those two dudes um, and drops him. And, and they talk about the gamble. And yeah. he's in. So yeah. Um, we get some training. We're practicing with Hirayama, who basically says, you know, there's no code in battle. If you're disarmed, you tackle them. No sword, use a stick. No stick, use a rock. Fists. Perhaps lose your life, but make the enemy pay. That's something that's going to come back. Yeah. We're practicing with explosives, and we have a little bit where the explosive doesn't go off, and they look up, and of course, the explosive goes off then. (laughs) Sahara visits the tomb of his wife and says, I will join you shortly. Then someone is coming, and it is Hanbei. And all our samurai scatter, and we have our confrontation between our two leaders. Yeah. It's a great scene. Yeah, it's fantastic. This reminds me a lot of um, a Sword of Doom, where Tatsuya Nakadai confronts uh, Toshiro Mifune. In essence, the two leads of Kurosawa, Kurosawa's yeah. films confronting each other, and it's about this kind of a foreshadowing of this battle and their former students of the same dojo, not at the same time, but of the same dojo, same master. And um, this, these two are actually of the same class and the same dojo master. So. Very interesting. And the conversation they have reveals so much about character, which is that mm. basically Hanbei was always a step behind. Yeah. So <laughs> when Shinzaman got one job, Hanbei was below him. Shinzaman moves up, Hanbei gets the job he just had. And so in order to catch up, he takes the job of being Lord Naratsugu's man, because that's an up and coming guy. And, and he knows what Naratsugu is. That's mm-hmm. really, really important. And Shinzaman says, as a samurai, I'll do what must be done for the people. And Hanbei says, for the people? <laughs> a samurai must do but one thing, and that's serve his master, correct? And this is the movie. This is the, yeah. the theme of the movie. But also, let me turn around a question on you, Steve Morris. Yes, sir. Hanbei, do you think Hanbei is the kind of person who cannot admit that they're wrong and has chosen this person to follow and to once again have to accept that they are second best, even in the choosing of something, someone to follow, is too much for him. Do you think that he's really a man of principle about samurai or he's a man too weak to admit that he's wrong about the choice and will go down in flames with this psychopathic sociopathic uh um person lord you know some people have a hard time with that they're wrong i think that he thinks 
he's a perfect samurai that he's following that code. I think we can't this scene because it's such a good scene. I'm glad you asked this question is that yep. I think we can't underestimate the power of his jealousy. I yes. think great point. He wanted status like and this is the this is the big thing is that, well, if you really believed in that, then status wouldn't matter to you, you know, right. because you're just serving your Lord. But no, he wanted status. And so he took this job in order to get more status. Mm -hmm. And now he can't let go of it. You know, I understand following a code to the end. Of course. Naritsugu is a psychopath, as you said. He's yeah. like, I mean, he's literally torturing and murdering people in front of you. There's no kind. And we talked about this when we talked about Seven Samurai. Yeah. Part of the code of Bushido is do the right thing. Yeah. It isn't just follow your Lord, no matter what they say. Right. There's also some do the right thing in there. Basically, he says, what an ill twist of fate. It's a long road to the Akashi domain. And Shinzaman says, see you there. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Um, there's a really weird scene in the international cut where Nartsugu is eating and he eats a little from this plate with his chopsticks and eats a little of that plate. And then he puts the plates together and mixes it up. And then he bends over and eats like a dog. <laughs> oh, interesting. It is an interesting scene. Hmm. Um, and I think it says a lot about his He's an experimenter, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like what happens if I defy all these rules? Yeah. Uh, Natsuku and his people, they march out and they wait three days and everyone's kind of going, when are we going to go? And finally, he brings everyone together and says that they will take Lord Natsuku at Ochi. And basically, here's the plan. We're going to get uh, Makimo to the guy whose daughter, whose son and daughter-in-law were killed, mm -hmm. he's going to get him to block Naratsugu, to block right. the path. And therefore, Naratsugu's going to have to take a different road home. And whichever road he's going to take, he's going to end up in this place, this small town called Ochi, and they're going to fortify the town, and, and that's where the battle's going to be. <laughs> and they're kind of going, so 12 men challenging 70 people? And the response I love, which is that no matter how much we plan, we must have faith in luck. Uh, and I love that Sahara laughs. He thinks this is a funny way to think about it. Yeah. Um, our guys ride through the rain. They ride into a village and everybody scatters and hides. And a bunch of Ronin looking dudes come out with swords and attack them. This is great because this is it's always nice to give us a little bit of of a preseason game before we get the regular yeah. season game. And this is, in essence, a preseason fight before we get the regular season fight. Um, and as you would expect, Hirayama, awesome. Yes. Sahara, man, with that spear. Oh, yeah. Just wipes people out. And we see Agura, who is the young kid, not scared, but not controlled and right. calm. Right. And he not only does he kill a guy, but his sword gets stuck. Uh, and by the way, there's I, in no way am I a swordsman at all. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I've been, I've seen some people who are pretty good with the sword. I am not. But one, of, I know one of the things in the Japanese sword cut is there's a way that you cut that helps you to not get stuck in the body, which is oh. that you slide it as you because the gotcha. a katana, like a, a traditional like European broadsword is like mm -hmm. a hacking weapon, and a katana is a slicing weapon because it's super sharp, and so you it actually wants to. I'm showing you, but it wants to yeah. pull as you cut. Oh. So that it slices rather than hitting like like an axe. Right. right. Anyway, I love that Shinrokuro says, first time you've killed as well. I love the as well. It's a great yeah. line. 
because that means it's the first time he's killed. Yeah. But he's almost like an older brother to him yeah, in that moment, totally. right? Yeah, just kind of like calming him down from the situation. And then they say, well, I guess basically they got to get off the road and they're climbing up beautiful, beautiful shots through the forest as they go up to the mountains. Mm. And we hear Hirayama talking that he says, I had strict monastic training in the mountains. The mountains gives blessings, but their true nature is fear itself. Mm. What does that mean? What, what do you think is happening here? I, I guess I would say that it demands respect the size of them demand respect from you when you encounter them uh and so yes you can eat off the land you can do what you want to do but also you will never lose how small you feel in comparison to the mountain because of the size and its power um and this is a little bit of foreshadowing for when we're going to get uh uh is it kunjigata who shows up the uh yeah koyata Oh, sorry, yeah. Koyata, yeah, when yeah. he shows up. Because to me, he represents the land. But yeah. Well, I think that's that's where I think. And, and by the way, forest and mountain are definitely spiritual areas in yeah. Japanese tradition yes. and in Shinto tradition. And, um, you know, they're, they're bathing as they do this, which is all mm -hmm. traditional ritualistic stuff. And I do think that the mountains give blessings, but their true nature is fear itself is Koyata. And, you know, he is the weirdest part of this movie. Yes. And we're definitely going to have to discuss what we think it all means. <laughs> um, uh, we hear, see Mitsuhashi and Hori, they ride into the village. And basically they say to the headman that they're going to buy him out. And he goes, look, I don't want to go against Sir Doi's orders, but convincing <laughs> the town, it's going to be tough. <laughs> and Hori comes in with a lot of money. And the reaction <laughs> to the headman is just awesome to this. He <laughs> stumbles over. Oh, yeah. Oh, ah, ah. but also, um, this is such an interesting tack they're taking. And he says Sir Doi's order. So clearly Sir Doi is playing both sides uh, in one way, uh, right? Yeah. So he, his real intention, of course, is having Shinsaman kill Daratsugu. So it's, it's an interesting little thing that they throw in there. Yeah, well, that's what it's a little bit strange is like, how official is this mission right. that they're on? You know, you understand the odds, right? Yeah. Um. In the forest, we see something hanging from a tree, like a little cage. And this, of course, is Koyata, who we're going to meet. And they say, are you a bandit or a raccoon or a goblin? <laughs> Do I look like a raccoon? And Shinrokuro cuts him down. It's a big fall. Yes. Which is one of the many clues that there's something <laughs> about this dude. <laughs> you know, he basically says, I hunt beasts from mountain to mountain. But I got grabbed basically because he tried to uh, hook up with the boss's wife, Upashi. Right. right. Now, who this person really is, <laughs> is there an Upashi? What is the relationship with Shinrokuro? Because there's some odd stuff about that. Yeah. Um, it's all very strange. And <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. Once again. This is what makes this such an unusual samurai film to have a character like this, which you can feel represents the land as Steve and I just spoke, or there have been, you know, there's a deleted scene that uh, kind of uh, enforces that he's in the fact that he's a demon. Uh, they, uh, they ask if he's a goblin when they cut yeah. him down. So that shows you there's an otherworldly essence to this character uh, that will play out as we go along uh, in the film. And I think this is something that would never be an American film. You no. know what I mean? This is a this is a different 
culture that we just wouldn't combine the dirty. Can you imagine if like some mystical person showed up in the dirty dozen no. or in predator? We just all, did predator go all the way back to the Western. Cause this is in essence, like connected yeah. to Western. Imagine some weird dude showing up in the middle of the Western. It would just not, it just wouldn't work. Have John Wayne just been, what are you? Some kind of <laughs> goblin. It just wouldn't make sense. <laughs> At That's all good. in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, and basically, they make the deal because they're a little bit lost that he's going to guide them and they'll give him food. Right. And, he, you know, he's running ahead and they're reacting to bugs and he picks up that bug and eats it alive. <laughs> it looks like he eats an actual live bug. Yeah. I, I Maybe he maybe it's somehow they faked it, but it doesn't look that fake. No, no. Um, and, and, you know, and this guy is so great at it. He's just such a joy to the film, man. He is. And, he is. and if he is the land, Steve, it's in essence representing the fact that the land supports this mission to take out Naritsugo because he is in yeah. essence going to split the land or set it on fire. Well, and I think you, you put your finger on something that I hadn't thought about exactly, mm -hmm. but we needed some comic relief. This is oh, a yeah. heavy movie and oh, he yeah. brings lightness that is just fun. Mm -hmm. Makimo has put up a sign that says Nartsugu cannot pass. Nartsugu reads the sign, grabs a sword, cuts down the sign, which it sounds like it, the way it's handled, it looks like that is a sin. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like that is a violation. You're, once a law goes up, you shouldn't cut it down. Yeah. And he goes and walks straight across this bridge and says, out of my way, and asks who he is. Who are you that you're doing this? Because he doesn't remember. I, does he even remember Chiso? And and the kid that he killed? No, I don't think so at all. I, I don't think, think so they're either. just, you know, num they're, they're relevant to him. Yeah. But when Makino says who he is, yeah, then he remembers and he says, does daddy monkey have hard bones too? That's the moment. Yeah. And he takes a step forward and out come the muskets. <laughs> a, I love the muskets coming out. And B, I love... Naratsugu's samurai, including Hanbei, all jump in front because yep. their job, they're the secret service. You know, they got to take right. a bullet. Right. And Naratsugu just drops the sword, which is a big no-no. Mm -hmm. You know, the sword is the soul of the samurai. You don't just drop it. Right. And walks away. And we get into this conversation about if people find out about this, we're going to be ridiculed. And where do we go? And, and uh, Naratsugu comes in upset. Here's the really interesting moment is he's talking to Hanbei. He gestures for him to come in closer. Yeah. And he says, choose the foolish path, Hanbei. It's more fun that way. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Um, I mean, the guy is uh, absolute, as I said, psychopath and sociopath. So to him, this is all a game. Yeah. This is all an experience to have because he's, as we find out later, he's never experienced pain or loss or Anything like that. So how could he possibly conceive of the stakes of what are, of what's happening here? It doesn't excuse him, obviously, for his actions, but how can he? So to him, it's like, yeah, you know what? Let's do the, let's do the thing that everyone says we shouldn't do. Let's, let me go for it on fourth down and 45. Right. There's the things. Let, let's see what happens. And for him, it's all experiential. Nothing is real. I totally think that's what it is. And I also yeah. think that's why. I wish they hadn't cut the weird scene of him eating like a dog. Yeah. Because it's all just what you said. It's like, let's, let's do the fun stuff. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. uh, so they head off and we're back with Makimo who kneels down. And now we know he finally gets to kill himself Yeah, and he does have a second and he makes the first cut and we're in a low angle. And I love the way they shoot this as the guy, we see him cut through the head. Yeah. And, but the head stays on. 
And then we cut away super, super fast. Yeah. And I'm assuming this was done with CG. So there is CGI in this movie. It's mm. used very well, I think. Yeah. Particularly it's 2010. So it's a decade yeah. ago. And I think they do a really nice job. Another sign that Koyata might not be what he seems is mm-hmm. they're climbing up the mountains and they're all, our samurai are all exhausted. They can't keep up. Yeah. And you would assume our samurai are in damn good shape, but they cannot keep up with Koyata. And he does lead them to the, ro- to the road. Yeah. And now we have another director's cut scene. Okay. Or not director's cut, but the international cut. Shinzaman says, hey, thanks a lot. Here's some money. And Koyata says, no, I don't want money. I want to go I want to go do this battle. It sounds like fun. And Hirayama is standing behind him with a big stick and says, Oi. Koyata turns around. Yeah. Huh? And Hirayama hits him in the head with the stick, which breaks. <laughs> Koyata has zero reaction and <laughs> says, what did you want? None. <laughs> and then Sahara with a log, not even a stick this time, with a log says, what? and exact same thing. Koyata turns around. He yeah. hits him in the head with the log that breaks. Zero reaction and says, what do you want? Nani. And so you see why, they, as you just said, Steve, earlier, right? American audience wouldn't go for it. This is maybe why this is cut out of the movie, because it is a full on indication that this is an otherworldly character in some way. And maybe they felt in the cutting that if they hadn't cut it, they would have uh, uh, gotten people to think this was a fantastical uh, a tale instead of a little more of a grounded tale. So but then I, the, I don't it, agree with it, but I yeah, like it. Because the ending then like is totally out of left field. Right. In, right, the, in the, the version that I first saw. So it's I, like, what's going on? We're here. It's set up a little bit. Yeah, I saw this and I want to read it real quick. Uh, um, someone speculated on one of the uh, Quora message boards. Uh, I want to give it, it's this guy named Perry Schaefer. He says, he's likely, Koyata is likely a person possessed by a kitsune, a fox, which is a condition Japanese folklore called kitsunetsuki. It attempts to exercise the fox spirit, often included burning the possessed, hence the burn on his face. Also, people possessed by foxes were thought to act wildly and lewdly, which of course explains his lust for opashi and other animalistic behavior, for example, when he, he's consumed by hunger for things that a fox would be hungry for, uh, explaining his working for food and his hunting of the rabbit. So mm. maybe that's what he symbolizes as well, too. And so some people obviously will find out later a, a demon or something to that nature. So, Well, and what's interesting. interesting is at this moment, after Shinzaman watches him get hit in the head and have no reaction, he says... Mm-hmm. A man who has battled animals might be more useful than an untrained samurai. And he's tougher and smarter than he looks. Yeah. And they head into town and we hear they've made really good progress. All right. Here is the the setup for the weirdest thing, mm-hmm. which is that in the international version, the headman of the village comes up and says, hey, thanks for the money. And you guys are great. Got a lot of girls here. You're interested in some girls. Right. And the samurai say, no, we're we're not interested. Mind your manners. And Koyata says, girls. Um, and then we go, basically it's very similar to seven samurai. We walk around the town c- coming up with the plan and looking at this alley and looking at, you know, ex- in, and how do we make it look like exactly like an ordinary town and turn mm-hmm. it into a town of death. Mm-hmm. I think when I first saw it, I had no idea what was I, the, the, the oh. place that this movie goes yeah is so far beyond anything i could have conceived of yeah and then it's nighttime and the camera pounds down in the water 
and there is a woman bathing <laughs> and Koyata is there and he says Upashi. And she eats something out of mm -hmm. the water at the same time. She looks like she's peeing, but she's it's, probably bathing. But it's, it's fantastic. It's a strange moment, period, yeah. in the movie. But what makes it even stranger is that it's the same actress that plays Suya, which is Shinro Shinkoruku's uh, girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. So what does that mean? I, I think he's tied to Shin. This is what the, this is the deceptive thing about the movie. It is not Shinzaman's story. Right. Mm. It is not. It's his nephew's story. Really? Uh, sure. He's the last one left alive. He's the last one that Koyata, Koyata shows up fully healed in essence to talk to him. And Koyata, uh, wanting, uh, is it Shinrokuru? Is that right? Shinrokuru's yeah. Yeah. A woman in essence, Upashi being both. This is, it's all connected to him. Yeah. This is his journey, right? Will he choose one thing or the other? It's all connected. And it's Shirokuru who comes up to break him of him looking at uh, Koyata, of him dreaming of Upashi or, or looking at Upashi or having the vision of Upashi. Well, and he's the one who has the character arc too. I hadn't thought yes. about it until you said it, but yeah. like he, everyone else is like, I am a samurai and yeah. I'm fulfilling my samurai duty. I'm ready to die. But Shirokuru is the one who has questions. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, I didn't want to be a samurai and I want to be a gambler. And I'm he's, he's thinking through more stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And he is the person who shows up now and has a conversation with Koyata about Upashi. And Koyata says, like no woman you've ever seen, she is a beauty. <laughs> it's like, no, it's exactly like a woman that he's seen. Yeah. It's his woman. Right. So back in the international cut, <laughs> this is the scene where it's like, I, I'm sad that I even saw it. Ah. <laughs> it's, so we hear sounds of sex. Yes. And we cut to Koyata is having sex with all the women in the village. We see a woman who he's having sex with writhing in pain. Mm -hmm. We cut outside and the bodies of all the women are laid about all moaning, mm -hmm. you know, horrible in pain. And a woman stumbles out of the house, cr clutching her crotch and in agony. Mm -hmm. and, and someone says, you know, this is hell and collapses. You're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> the headman of the village has seen all this and Koyata comes out naked and says, get me more girls. And then, and the headman's going like, uh, I think those were all the women. And then he looks and has a reaction to Koyata's tremendously large member. Yeah. His penis. Say yeah. It. I mean, they don't, but they don't show it exactly, no, they don't show it, no, no. but it's very clear what he's seen. <laughs> and the headman starts to go away and then there's a look and the headman reacts to the look. <laughs> and then we cut to Koyata clearly having sex and the camera pounds goes down yeah. to the face of the headman who screams. You must hear! Ah! So he is with his giant penis raping this old man. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I really wish that I hadn't seen that scene. All the other scenes, I'm like, I understand why they, they added, they, I wish they had kept them in. And this one was like, yeah. what the fuck is this? Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a statement about men who peddle women for sex. And he's just here, why don't you take a little bit of it? You know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, know. I don't <laughs> think it's, I don't think it's that. I'll ask, if I ever interview Takeshi Makai, I will ask him about Please this. ask him. <laughs> why did you have this scene in the room? Hanbei and Natsugu have disappeared. <laughs> They've not know. shown up. And they go to Shinzaman, waiting is killing our chances. And Shinzaman, who we met fishing, says, 
Do you know the secret to fishing? Wait until the fish swallows the hook. But if you reel in too soon, the fish will escape without with the bait. We will wait until the fish swallows the hook. <laughs> it's foggy. A horse comes riding in and says they're here. But they are not 70. Many more. Over 200. <sighs> so we already knew that they were totally outmatched. And yeah. now they are, I mean, 200 against 13. And I love Sahara's reaction. He's like, well, if the fish that takes the hook is a bigger fish, the bigger the better. Right. He's a great character. Yes. And when, then he looks at Koyata and says, Shinzaman looks at Koyata and says, 13. <laughs> the time is, he, he faces his men and says, the time has come to lay down your lives for a greater cause. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> ready to die. <gasps> John, I don't know how to talk about where we're going to go now. <laughs> okay. it's, there's so much that's about to happen. Yeah. Basically, the next 45 minutes is a battle. Yeah. And listening to me and you describe, try to describe what yeah, the hell is fair, happening. Fair. I mean, uh, you know, we're going to do our best, but yeah, you guys, you know, those cinephiles who, who tend to watch the movie after, and some people who listen to the show and don't even watch the movie. Yeah. You should really watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. This, the last 40 minutes. And, and, you know, we don't, I think we shouldn't go, we don't have to go beat by beat, but no. certainly there is, a lot here that is um, incredible to watch and savor and enjoy. If you're a fan of battle scenes, if especially if you're a fan of samurai battle scenes, there is so much here. And the brilliance of the planning, that's what I think comes yeah. through for me when you watch this scene or this last 40 minutes of the movie is the brilliance of the planning. Everything has been leading to this fight. And they have set everything up. And Steve is so great to mention Seven Samurai, just like Takashi Shimura walking around, yeah. fortifying the edges. It's all been set up. And uh, uh, and I love the way it starts because Naritsugu's man, Hanbei, they have no idea yep. that Shinzaman has set this place. So already Shinzaman has the advantage. And when they tell him that he's acquired 200 people, Hanbei has and Naritsugu have, he says the playing field is level. Now we're going to find out who the real better person is. Yep. My, my people versus your 200. I trust my quality, my quantity, my quality rather over your quantity. Yep. And let's see what's up. And this is this whole yep. fight battle scene kind of proves that. I oh. kind of think we go kind of section by section. Sure. Let's you know what it. I mean? So it starts with Hanbei and Naratsugu marching into this town that seems perfectly normal. <laughs> Villagers, kids, women, and the key to selling it is the naked kid peeing. Yes. It's like, okay, this is totally safe. And they get, they're halfway into the town. Yeah. And suddenly Hanbei looks around and sees swords on the roof and suddenly goes, oh no. And he sees the women running off into the mountains, the yes. women and the children running off, which is a real indication that a fight is coming. Yeah. And right at that moment, this barricade just flies in, <laughs> cutting them off. It is so, and that's where I go, like, this is so crazy what happens. Does it take you out of the movie some of the more modern aspects of it all? Like this idea of a war like, coming across, the explosions, all this kind of stuff. Or does it add more to the film? Then it I, takes think, away. I think I had a moment of adjustment, if that yeah. makes sense, where yeah. I went, totally makes sense. I went, what the hell is this? This is totally. <laughs> and then I went, oh, my God, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we're lighting fuses. We're firing fire arrows. There are explosions. They try to get out one way. They can't get out that way. They run and try to get out the other way. 
I love that Ishizuka shows up and says, hey, come on this way. <laughs> and then they all draw their swords and chase him. And he runs up a ladder, pushes the ladder down. And then, man, this this might be the weirdest and craziest moment of the battle. I've never seen anything like this, yeah. which is a whole bunch of charging bulls that have been lit on fire. And they're only used once. <laughs> they don't come back. They don't, you know, they just go one direction and they are, uh, and, and, and this is good CG. I mean, it is yeah. obviously CG. Uh, and uh, they're being, you know, uh, some of them are being run over and lifted up into the air and hurt. And so I think it's done to kind of really, it's a brilliant move tactically. It scares the shit out exactly. of all of them, right? Yeah. That's the whole point. What madness have we walked into? Yeah. Uh, with this, you know, I think that's exactly what it is. And then, you know, more barricades, more explosions, and they go up to the center of town and there in front of them are Shinzaman, Kurinaga, oh. and Sahara on top of the barricade. Bro, that's the shot, bro. That's the fucking shot. Just them standing there out of the fog. Oh, it's brilliant, man. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, real quick. Do you think I wonder if there's a scene missing even from the Japanese version where Koyata is the one who got the bulls together and lit mm. them on fire and sent them down because it seems so out of left field. So certainly possible. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, but well, actually, though, I'm glad we don't have that because <laughs> because yeah. it's so shocking the, the way madness. it is, yeah, yeah, you cool. know, because it's just like, oh, my God, what is happening? <laughs> um, Shinzaman says by order of his of the Shogun. Uh, we commemorate your passage with arrows. And they open fire on him, and people are going down right and left. It's just yeah. a slaughter at this moment. Yeah. There's one moment where Natsugu has stumbled, and Hanbei blocks an arrow with a sword. Yeah. It's a nice, a nice move. Um, and, man, out comes Koyata with rocks and a sling just also wiping people out. He's fun in every moment that we see him. Yeah. And one of uh, Hanbei's guys goes, hey, I see a passage. I got a way out. And a whole bunch of guys go in. <laughs> and what do they find? All sorts of explosives. Blow yeah. them up. It's, yeah. like, it's like the Star Trek three moment. <laughs> Seven, six, five. Get out! Three, Get out of there! Get out! One. You, people listening, they can figure out what that meant. Yeah. Um, and by the way, the way that building goes down is mm. crazy. I, I was thinking to myself what the stunt work must have been like on a film like this and in modern imagine. times. I, it's just incredible. Cause you, and plus the way the costumes are in phenomenal, beautiful costumes. But you think to yourself what it must have been like to be on the set when that explosion happens and you're seeing uh, extras or other, you know, samurai like jumping out of the way of the camera. So I wonder how many of them came close to getting hit by that thing because it is massive. Well, it's, it, it, well, and this is some of them might be CG and some of that, oh, yeah. you know, like that's what I don't quite know, but it Maybe. looks absolutely amazing. And it looks it genuinely scary. Part of what they're doing is some of it is, with long lenses, people mm. look a lot closer than they actually are. Great I'm assuming some of that is going on. Yeah. Uh, and then Shinzaman says, enough petty tricks. <laughs> And they throw down their bows. Sahara says, 130 left. What you paid for my life was a real bargain. <laughs> and he unsheathes his spear. Mm -hmm. He's great. I, yeah. it, it, you know, 
few characters really stand out. Sahara, <laughs> yeah. for not that much screen time, is definitely yeah. one of them. I don't understand why everyone throws their bows away at this moment. They still had arrows, like, but it is They're, certainly badass. Yeah. Well, it, oh yes, and also there is that thing of like the nobility of the samurai, the one-on-one battle, the battle against it's all of that. You know what I'm saying? Shoot from above right. is not a a noble death or a noble war. Yeah. Um, and then Shinzaman pulls out the scroll that says Total Massacre. Yeah. And Naritsugu laughs. And Shinzaman drops the banner and yells, Kill them all. And the first person that jumps into their midst is Shinrokuro. He drops right into the middle of them. And then more guys drop down. Mitsuhashi drops down. The sword work is beautiful. Sahara with the spirit is beautiful. Hioki comes out of nowhere with two swords. And then Koyata with a big stick, just <laughs> wiping people out. And, and as, you know, one of them's running and cuts a rope and another barrier comes in, because we see they have these traps set up yep. everywhere. Koronaga, I love the way Koronaga fights. Mm-hmm. He's big and strong, and he has a different look. Yeah. A different level, and he's a huge amount of power. By the way, uh, there's a thing that Jackie Chan talks about is one of the hard hmm. things with doing uh, fight scenes with multiples is you run into the the problem. Like if you look at, even though it's a great fight scene in Fist of Fury, the second Bruce Lee movie, the hmm. fight in the dojo, you have 20 guys in a circle around Bruce. Um, and a lot of them are just waiting for their chance to attack. Right. And what, what Jackie talks about is what they used to do for the Hong Kong movies is you would have guys just moving side to side. So it looks like they're active, but really they're just waiting. And one of the things that uh, Jackie really focused on was always having people coming from off screen. Yeah. So you don't see a person who could attack that doesn't. And I think this movie does a great job with this. Yeah. Where they put the camera is that where there's the our main guys are always overwhelmed there's always more people coming at them and of course they're handling it all um koyata swings down on a rope he's got like a (laughs) rock and a sling and takes more guys out he is hilarious to watch and he moves great and there's a moment where he loses his weapon he's just dodging swords (laughs) ogura our young guy gets chased by people he looks like he's in trouble and then they slip and fall into something wet and ogura picks up a candle and suddenly the guy who's wet realizes that he's in oil or kerosene or something and Agura throws the candle and he lights on fire and he turns and all the samurai with him turn to run right into Hiryama. He mows them all down and the last dude on fire cuts him in half. (laughs) So good. And I love the way the shot is, which is you see Hiriyama through the fire. Yeah. And then the fire falls to two different directions and you realize that the fire was the dude he cut in half. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Takashi Miike does such a great job with this, man. Uh, you know, another guy says, I found a way out. And uh, Hanbei says, no, it's a trap. And Nartsugu says, smiles and goes, let's go. <laughs> Hiriyama and Ogura, and this is his student. Yeah. Come to a space where there's a lot of swords in the ground. There's like a trench of fire in the middle. And Naratsugu shows up with a bunch of soldiers. Mm -hmm. And we see Hiriyama through the fire. And basically, this is literally, this is what my notes does, says. He stands like a fucking badass. Yep. That's, that is my, that is my years of film school, (laughs) you know, technical note. 
Absolutely. Perfect description. And he draws his sword and he's facing like 40 dudes. Yeah. And his instructions to his student is kill all the men that get past me. Don't leave one alive. Hmm. This is another, it's another incredible scene. And he they wipe out a ton of people. There's one last guy standing in front of Nartsugu who's scared and he gets his courage up to attack. He screams and then Hanbei steps in between them. Yeah, that's Hanbei's second. Oh, yeah. Smarmy little bastard. He's the one that sent the guys to do. Oh, right. Know, to spy on on uh, what was going on there. And yeah, so I love how much of a coward he actually is. Uh, Ishizuka is about to get taken and Koyata saves him and says, your samurai brawls are crazy fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, Ishizuka says, it's not, it's not a brawl. And then uh, Koyata absolutely changes completely. He's like, you samurai, you know, you take things too seriously. You're no fun. And he just, he's offended by Ishizuka saying it's not just a brawl, which is great. Hiyoki and Higuchi have a moment of pause. They kind of rescue each other. They're up against the wall. They, they smile at each other. There's a yeah. moment and then we hear a sound and Hiyoki coughs up blood and we see a spear going, you know, through his chest. Yeah. And Hiyoki trying to fight with the spear in Ugh. him is just awful. It's heartbreaking. After this, by the way, there is no more music. Oh, I didn't even notice that shit. It's very much like Ron, where we're in like, oh. you know, there's a lot of music and then there is no music. And 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 what um what Takashi McKay said is that he he didn't want he didn't want to use music to play on the emotions. Huh? He didn't he didn't want to over dramatize their deaths. But it's great music, is it? Koji Endo does the music. It's fantastic. Yeah, I it's immediately great. downloaded every track after mm. I watched this uh watched it this time yeah our guys are running away we've gone through a building and mitsuhashi stops basically he's going to hold this passage so that shinzoman and kurinage and some of the other guys can get away mm -hmm. and he turns and fights within this passage one guy gets behind him he turns to kill him gets slashed in the back keeps fighting yeah and then the moment where he's totally covered in blood, he goes down and then he rises up Ugh. like a monster, just yeah. like a, <laughs> yeah. And he fights till the, till his death. Um, and then we end up with, I think it's Ishizuka who sh shows up with the explosive in his hand and like a torch in the other hand. But at this point, everyone's so covered in mud. It was a little hard for me to keep it all straight. <laughs> That's um, and he's obviously wounded and he gets stabbed on the ground. And then we cut to, an explosion and then just red water. And I guess it's blood. <laughs> but just like, this has gone to a whole other yeah. level. It's fantastical at this point. Yeah. Then uh, we have this kind of almost quiet moment with Naratsugu and Hanbei where Naratsugu seems totally unmoved, but, yeah. but not, he's just like, do you think the age of war was like this? <laughs> and basically he says, once I'm on the Shogun's council, let's bring back the age of war. Oh, he's just, he's the worst. <laughs> yeah. And, and poor, uh, well, I almost said poor, but Hanbei is like, uh, perhaps just trying yeah. to like, oh. <laughs> he's just so like, um, you don't understand what's happening here. Oh, it's so great. And then Kurinaga kind of comes around a corner and faces all of them. And he's oh. just, you know, yeah. big and powerful. And he introduces himself <laughs> and points at Naratsugu and says, I've come for your life. Yeah. I just love the way he fights and he kills a bunch of guys, but then 
I mean, the numbers, you know, yeah. gets a, you know, he spins, he gets up against the wall, still manages to keep fighting. Yeah. And then another huge crowd comes up from behind him. Um, he's totally surrounded. And then here comes Sahara with the big spear. Um, and Hirayama and Ogura end up, and this is their, this is their death. Mm-hmm. And it is just beautiful. The kid goes down first. Yeah. And he's wounded and he's, we see his face and he's kind of leaning on this thing. He's kind of reaching with his hand and we see his POV and the camera's rotated. So the ground is vertical and Hirayama's fighting with a sword. And then he's fighting with rocks, which is what he said in training. He said this, you know, fight to the last thing. And he kills a guy with rocks. And then another guy clearly slashes him um, and he collapses next to the kid. And in the last moment, Aguro says, master and dies. And he's killed by one of the samurai uh, of the one of the villainous samurai who has gone mad from yeah, the war. Yeah. And so it's also a we it's also a, a brilliant moment of the randomness of war that even the heroes can die by a stray bullet or by a crazed samurai swinging wildly and striking Hirayama in the back like that. So yeah, yeah. now they're just bodies everywhere. I yeah. mean, just constant bodies. Sahara is still fighting. Up comes Koyata, who jumps down in the midst of it. Yeah. And it's just having a blast. <laughs> and Sahara says, you are no samurai. And Koyata says, so what? And as yeah. he grabs a big stick and knocks a dude out, he says, do only samurai matter? And I think that's key to this movie. Yep. This is about the transition away from the samurai mm-hmm. and saying other people matter. The servants matter. The people matter. All, right. Even the women that Koyata raped matter, you know. And then out of nowhere, a sword comes through his neck. And it's nasty looking. And then Hanbei stabs him in the gut. And it's Naratsugu who threw the sword. He says, the dying man speaks the truth. His reward is my short sword. His dead delivery of lines is part of what makes him so creepy and upsetting. Kurunaga still fighting, but definitely really wounded. There's fire everywhere. The town is collapsing. I mean, it's, it's just crazy, the scale of this thing. And Kurunaga, it's like a long lens in the distance. He's, we see him through the fire, and then he goes down. Yeah. Naratsugu is climbing through the wreckage, and they've reached the end of the town. And Hanbei says, "Let's, my lord, let's run. And he says, Hanbei, victory is not yet ours. And they turn, and there is Shinzaman and Shinrokuro. Yeah. This is what uh, I read. They had only a morning to shoot this whole sequence. Wow. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I can believe that. Wow. That seems so difficult. Mm-hmm. And Hanbei goes forward to protect his Lord because that's what he's going to do to the end. And Shinzaman says, I gambled my life in this senseless war of power and stupidity. If he joins the Shogun's council, disaster will fall the people. And Hanbei says, both you and I were born samurai. Ours is not to wonder why. And of course I hear ours is just to do or die. <laughs> um, he says ours is to obey fate and die. And they continue to have this argument. Um, it's a philosophical discussion. It's the same one they had before, right. you know, right. even with the stakes higher. Yeah. yeah. And basically at the end, it's like, you know, they, they, they cannot, there's no agreement. These nope. are two entirely different visions of what is right. Shinzaman kind of takes off some more of his robes. I love the way he wipes the blood of the sword oh. off and the crook of his elbow. Oh my God, it's such an awesome. Because, of course, Hanbei has taken off all his 
yeah. extra stuff and said, like, you're going to have to go through me and my dead body to get to my lord. And Shinzaman, in retaliation to what Hanbei has just done, just wipes the sword simply on his, wipes the blood off his sword because yeah. he's going to put fresh blood on the sword. It's awesome, dude. And, and this is a thing that frequently movies don't do well, which mm. is how to build to a satisfying action conclusion of your movie. Great point. And this is one where it's like, yes, this is where the movie has to end. It has yep. to end between these two people. It has to end in a quiet moment. It has yeah. to end, you know, mano y mano. That's what has to happen. Yeah. Um, and they approach. I love, you know, just the little shots like Shinzoman's feet in the mud as they move forward. Having sparred a bunch, there's one guy in particular uh, who you know who it is, who I sparred with more than mm -hmm. any other human. Mm -hmm. And there's something about fighting with someone whose moves you know. These mm -hmm. guys have fought together yep. literally for years. Yeah. And so it, it it almost can become a dance. <laughs> and Hanbei says, how I missed crossing swords with you. And then there's this, when they fight a little bit, and then there's this moment, and Shinzaman says, in the dojo, we were an even match. And then he kicks mud in his face. <laughs> and this is what Hanbei said about him in the beginning. Yeah. Is you back him into a corner, and he is going to, he's going to find a way to win. Yep. And he disarms him. Hanbei's on the ground. Right before he cuts his head off, Hanbei says to him, I'll see you in hell. Right? That's a great action moment yeah. great you've seen it regardless of what country you watch things i'll see you in hell and it's almost and i wonder if it's an homage to uh to unforgiven at the end with kill bill i'm sorry not kill bill but uh bill little bill when he says to him i'll see you in hell william money hmm. so you imagine that shinzaman has done some shit in the past that maybe isn't you know the most noble stuff in service of his lord perhaps Perhaps he has killed children or women or what have you. So when, and Hanbei knows, Hanbei knows about it. And when Hanbei says to him, I'll see you in hell, there's an understanding, right? Shinzaman doesn't respond, but he cuts his head off cleanly in a moment of respect, which I think is fantastic. I love that there's a bug that lands on his face right yeah. before he's killed. And Shinzaman kills him and the head rolls away towards Naratsugu. The other soldiers now attack and Shinrokuro wipes them out. One thing I should have said is mm. that right before the fight starts, Naritsugu says such elegance fighting one-on-one. -on -one. Yes. And then after, after Hanbei has been killed, he says, some call it elegance. Some call it cruel and unfair. I like it. And then he kicks Hanbei's head. Oh, just like the soccer ball or whatever that was. Yep. And Shinzaman you know, clearly exhausted, kneels down and says, how can you kick his head? He gave his life for you. And I love Natsuku's line in response is, kick my head if you want. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> he pulls out his sword and Shinzaman says, for the shogun, for the people, for the many who died. For Makino, for his family, and for my men scattering Ochi, and for that innocent, harmless girl with severed arms and legs, I shall take your life. That's great. Yeah. 
That's that kind of like, <laughs> you know what it is? It, yeah, it's funny. My second Princess Bride reference. Mm. But this is, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. <laughs> you killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> yep. It's, it's um, reading him the list of charges before. Yeah. This is why you're going out. Yeah. And Natsuko is like, the people's job is to serve. And uh, Shinzoman says, even so, a time comes when servants rise up against their mas- their lords. This is, again, this theme. It's with Koyara. It's with, you know, all throughout. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, just serving the Lord isn't enough. We also have to do what's right. And it's that we're heading towards the Meiji period in the end yep. of the samurai. A modern approach to governing. Yep. Right? Respect the people you're governing or they will rise up and overthrow you. And we see revolutions uh, from, you know, multiple times over the next few decades. And he says, your mistake is believing that your decorative blade is is not just for show. Oh, he shames them. This is yeah. so great. Oh, but but Naratsuka's line is great too. Nonsense. It's all for show. Yeah, because he's about breaking through all of society. Everything. Right. Uh, every for Naratsuka, everything is bullshit. Right. You know, including his sword. They approach, and Naratsuka stabs Shinzaman. Out of anger, because Shinzaman shames him and says, decorative like the man who's holding it. So it's mm. such disrespect. It's such, it's, he's trying to essentially, and essentially verbally castrate him in that moment. And it's the first moment of emotion that you see from Naritsugu. Mm. A real rage. And he stabs him. Get on Did Shinzaman let him stab yes. him? Yes, a thousand percent. Of course he did. This is the noble death. There's no way this guy gets a gets a weapon in on Shinzaman. <laughs> That's just not happening. Yeah. And then he pushes towards him, much like you know King Arthur and Excalibur yes, sort of portion. moment. Yeah, and stabs uh, Naratsugu. Mm-hmm. And Naratsugu, this person who has been so distant and unemotional mm-hmm. and cold throughout, he's having an emotion now. Oh yeah, he's shocked. Yeah. He's feeling pain for the first time. I, I can't. I mean, like, how do you not stub your toe or something? But it, the way they said it really seems like this is what pain is, you yeah, know? Yeah. And he's just crawling along. And it's, he, it's really interesting what he goes through because mm-hmm. first it's scared. I don't want to die. Yeah. And then there's a realization. So death comes for us all. Yeah. I don't think he really thought he was human. Do you know what I mean? Right. Right, right. And then he says, allow me to thank you, Shinzaman, of all the days of my life. Today has been the most exciting. And Shinzaman says, you're welcome, and cuts his head off. And then falls. The sword goes into the wall. Shinzaman goes down, and this whole thing is over. Yeah. The big gamble has paid off. By the way, I want to give some love to Goro Inagaki because I don't think we've said his name through the whole show, maybe. Um, he's not a Tsugu, as you say. He's such an interesting character and maybe an uncomfortable character because he's telling truths as he's performing these ugly acts. And his real, real chance to act is that ending and the stages of, in essence, grief he goes through as he realizes he's in pain, realizes he's about to die, realizes he's afraid. And then still in the moment, there is a little bit of, I don't want to say nobility, but some level of, I don't know, adulthood or strength that he shows when he says, I, allow me to thank you. Uh, and maybe this is, he was an impertinent child who was waiting for someone to finally push back 
And uh, Shin Zaman does, and then cuts his head off in the process. Great acting. I I agree. I think he's great. And like, I mean, you got to be a really good actor to make me hate you the way this guy makes me hate you. Absolutely. I think, I think part of what it is, it is in a weird way, that final turn away from the pain and the fear Mm. to the thank you is him being true to himself. Yeah. He is, he he is returned to being the person that he was before. Yeah. Which is, and it's, and I agree. It's weird. It's not that you like him, (laughs) you know? Right. right. Um, And then the last moment between Shinro Kuro and his uncle is basically Shinzo Man frees him. He says, go live your life. You know? sa- the samurai life is tough. Go be what you want to be, man. Yeah. Right. The older generation telling the younger generation, freeing them from the bonds of expectation once and for all. Go and live your life. And Shinro Kuru's left alone amidst all these bodies, which I kind of went like, wait, nobody's wounded? Like everyone is just <laughs> dead? <laughs> well, maybe Seems they died crazy. from their wounds by this point. <laughs> maybe. And it's getting dark and it's foggy and we see someone coming towards him and it's Koyata. It's Koyata of all Seems people. totally fine. Vibrant as hell. <laughs> yep. And he's like disappointed. Oh, you got the Lord's head without me? Shinro Kuro says, our fight is over. Well, that ain't no fun. <laughs> Are you, you know, they ask if you're hurt and he says, ah, oh, compared to fighting a wild bear, these ones are nothing. I'm fine. All I want is my Upashi. And then he, he starts to walk away and he turns and says, what are you going to do? And Shinrokuro's response is whatever I want. Yeah. I've been a samurai long enough. And he says, maybe I'll jump ship to America and make love to women. I don't know how much they knew about America at this point because it, it hadn't been opened up yet, which is, no, it had been a really isolated country. Um, okay. But they, I mean, I guess they must have known a little bit. And, and, and Koyata likes that idea. He says, now you're talking. And Shinrokuro says, say hi to Opashi for me, which is weird because it's the same actress that played his girlfriend. Yeah. Right. I really go like, okay, what is that about? <laughs> and Koyata runs away and we're at a high angle and the camera cranes down as, as Shinrokuro walks through the bodies. Yeah. He looks down, he looks at his sword and he starts to throw the sword away. Yes. And then he stops and he walks and I love that a burning beam falls, you know, just one more exclamation point on this crazy battle. And we hear the whinny of a horse and he walks into a close up and smiles. Yeah. So let's talk about that moment, Steve. Before I do, before we do, okay, okay. just one quick thing. Yes. They only had one take. Wow. For this last moment, they apparently running out of time, running out of money, light. The sun was going down. He and and he just said, Shinro Kuro, so walk towards camera, give a little smile and walk out of frame. <laughs> One take. Nailed it. Yeah. So, yes, Watch let's respect. talk. Yes. So what I mean, he frees him, but he tries to throw the sword and he cannot let go of the sword. The beam coming down. I think it's actually a tragic ending in that he wanted to walk away from being a samurai, wants to be a bandit, but Koyata's like, yeah, now we're going. He's like, tell, tell Upashi hi. So in essence, sending him off and Koyata's like, okay, sure. Uh, and, and disappointed that he can't be a bandit with him. But in the end, I don't think he does become the bandit. I think he's still the samurai, which is why he can't let it go. But 
He's come to accept finally that this is actually who he is. And there's a piece in that, which is why I think he smiles as he's walking off camera. But that's my interpretation. I don't know if it's true or not. So I, I, I don't know. I think that's a perfectly valid interpretation. Mm. I, I like my gut is what Shinra Kuro loves is gambling. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean gambling oh, money. Right. I mean, I mean the high stakes gambling of risking your life. Right. I think what Nar- Naritsugu said, like, this was the most exciting day of my life. I think that's true for Shinro Kuro. Mm. And so him, he goes, well, I'm going to go to America. I'm going to, you know, make love to women. And that's, right. and yet he can't throw away that sword, mm-hmm. you know? So I kind of feel like that he's going to do, he's going to continue to be a samurai too. I think the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Right. Um, that's what's I think. That's why I think the beam going down, setting on fire, is him in essence, mm, like setting fire to that old part of his life. There are obviously many interpretations oh, sure. of Koyata and what that <laughs> hell that mean. Like one of them is that that he represents nature, and nature yeah. is extremely powerful, and he's both a a demon and you know a hero in a sense. Mm-hmm. Another is that he represents the people. Yes, and the people are more powerful than samurai. And by the way, we should say there's some text on screen at the very end. That says in May 1844, it was reported that Naratsugu fell ill and died. Mm. And 23 years later, the shogunate was abolished beginning the Meiji period. So, and that relates to, you know, Koyata being the people. Um, Here is what the director said. He said he is fine with multiple interpretations. He says, reality is complicated. If you only show ordinary things, you will understand them easily, but your brain will stop functioning and you will simply watch passively music and editing will manipulate you to laugh and cry at certain points in other words those film techniques control your emotions but this is not that kind of film he wants you to feel emotions with them and that's part of why he introduces the ambiguity and pulls away the music and some of the more manipulative editing that's what he says wow (laughs) that's a very interesting statement i like it yeah challenging the audience yet again it's so funny when I see things, this sounds sort of arrogant, but when I, when I see things that are, ex, that are not a way I would ever conceive of doing mm. is that everything in the movie, except Koyata mm-hmm. makes perfect sense in the way I think about stories. Right. I'm not saying that I would be capable of writing or creating a movie like this at all. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it, the, the thought process of how you come up with all these beats totally makes sense to me. Right. Koyata makes no sense to me. And we, right. That is a thing in my, all the scripts, I've, I've never written anything remotely like that, nor would I. It would never have occurred to me to do something like that. But by the same token, you're not Japanese. And so maybe in, in their culture, this is actually not unusual. The idea of the supernatural, the idea of the mountain coming to life or the nature right. coming to life. or True. So in the, yeah. So it's, you know, I think it's a phenom- I think it's fantastic to appreciate the film as a Japanese film and, this is totally. something that can be reflective of their culture for sure. And Takashi McKay, an unusual filmmaker for so many reasons, yeah. is the perfect person to add someone like Koyata into a film like this. The film itself, it was made for what we got here for like $6 million. It made $17.5. It was released, uh, you know, it was uh, premiered at the Venice Film Festival in September of uh, 2010. Uh, it, uh, for Asian Film Awards, it won Best Production Design. It was nominated for Best Director, Best Actor, Best Editor. At the Austin Film Critics Association Awards, it was nominated one of the top 10 films. It came in at number nine. In the J- Japan Academy Prize, which I think is in essence the Oscars for Japan, it won, it was nominated rather for Picture of the Year, Director of the Year, Screenplay of the Year, 
an outstanding performance by an actor in a leading role for Koji Yakusho. It won for cinematography, lighting direction, art direction, and sound recording. It was also nominated for music and film editing. Uh, and the Washington, D.C. Area Film Critics Association nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. And the Yokohama Film Festival gave it Best Film and Best Screenplay. It won both of those. Those, And I would argue that it got robbed for a nomination for Best uh, Foreign Language Film or Best International Feature uh, in 2010. I went and looked at those films that were nominated. I would have put this above maybe all of them except for one. So that's mm. my thoughts on this overall afterwards. Well, that's some of your thoughts I would like to hear. Mm. You know, uh, maybe I'll give my final thoughts first. Yeah. I think this is totally satisfying, both as a person who loves Kurosawa films and samurai films and as a person who loves martial arts and totally over the top action sequences. <laughs> and it manages to deliver both of them and also making you think a little bit about just like a weird way, like we were talking about with Remains of the Day is yeah. the difference between duty to a code and your duty to do the right thing. You know, yeah. and and it's so the most interesting thing about the movie is the most pure samurai people are the ones who in this very strange way are fighting towards the end of the samurai world. That's what's most interesting to me. How about you? Uh, I have to say that this is a film that um, from the first viewing uh, has resonated with me for so many reasons, because at times with the Kurosawa films, they can feel a little bit detached. Like you, you respect them, you honor them, you would uh, burn uh, anything in, in, in respect or in, in, in serving, uh, you know, offering up us offering rather for these great classic movies that elevated the genre to a whole nother level, kind of like what Coppola did with gangster films. But this film, 13 Assassins, is so incredibly unusual while not losing, as, St as Steve said earlier, the spiritual connection they have to Kurosawa's, uh, it has to Kurosawa's earlier films. But this one feels more connectable. It feels more interesting. And it's ironic that Takashi McKay said he didn't want to do it more modern because it feels modern in its approach and its connection. And I think it resonates with you because of the conversations that are had in between the fights between the people of uh, uh, the samurais that are there and the Lord uh, Noritsugu, but also it still satisfies you as an action film. So there's a lot that you walk away from this film pondering, talking about, considering, and that's what makes it a great film uh, that lasts and will stand the test of time because the concepts that they talk about are universal and the way that they approach them are unusual and that's what usually decorates a great film. So that is what we think about 13 Assassins. We would love to hear what you think of this incredible film, particularly if you've never seen it before. As always, you can visit us on our Facebook page, do a search for The Cinephiles. You can follow the show at Cine underscore files on Twitter, The Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. Please subscribe to the show at wherever you get your podcasts. If it's on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. If it's on YouTube, we love reading your comments. Of course, Spotify and Stitcher and a whole bunch of other places is available as well. If you want to buy 13 Assassins along with every other film we've ever reviewed, you can do it on cinephiles.net. You could support the show at patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. And even get your film picked like John Getz did. And if you want to reach me, you can reach me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. John, how about you? You can always reach me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And, uh, come on over to my YouTube page, youtube.com slash John Roca says there is a possibility that I will start a new program on the channel called Samurai Saturdays. 
and where we revisit a samurai film. This film has kind of reawoken <laughs> my desire to do that. So come and subscribe and enjoy some of that if you'd like. Samurai Saturdays. That sounds like a great show. And of course, you could check out my new show, Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve, my partnership with Scott Mance to go through every single episode of the original series, original Star Trek series in production order. And I think that is it for this week. We will see you next time for another great film on The Cinephiles. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.